0: You
1: want to kick us off? Okay, so today's topic, um, as we mentioned last week, is that uh the new SEC rules for cybersecurity um were passed and we've got about what four months to come into compliance. They go they're effective in December of 2023. So we wanted to dive in a little bit deeper. Um Knowing that everyone in the audience is probably at different levels and different companies sizes and things like that. So, um, we'll really kind of take a step back and, and talk about what the law is, um, what the regulation is and, uh, what companies would need to do. So, you know, when, in, in looking at it, it if, if I just netted it and said, here's the net, it's, the government is trying to say, you know what, you're going to do this. We, we've told you to do it. We've asked you to do it. And we're going to make you do it now. And so they're basically just trying to, I think, um, enforce this regulation to ensure the companies are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, I'm curious, what, what are your thoughts on, you know, kind of if you had to boil it down, what does it come down to to make it easy?
0: Well, I, I think before we dive into that, I do want to put some disclaimers out there for everybody. Yeah. Uh, just, oh yeah, us, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, none of us are lawyers. This is not legal advice. Uh, if you are, you know, in an organization that is covered under the SEC ruling, which means a public organization or a regulated organization, and we'll come back to that, I think, because there's some question about private regulated companies too. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, this is just the opinion of three experienced practitioners, right? And kind of our perspectives of what we've seen through our careers and how we've interacted in our corporate roles as well as our consulting roles. And so, you know, this is just some things for you to think about as listeners, not necessarily guidance. Uh, Again, we're not legal uh, representatives, and you should really have these conversations with your internal organization if you're in an organization that is um, By the SEC regulations. Uh, The first thing, that's the first thing I'll say. The second thing I'd say is that this is an interesting um, dialogue that we're getting from a regulatory body, right? It's not your traditional list of do's and do nots. There's a lot of uh, here's what we proposed, here's what we heard, and here's what we're doing, which could be confusing. So that's another piece that it's going to be important for people to recognize is that the document itself from the SEC is dense. Um, it's it's not so dense technically, right? It's it's But it is very much um, a, a capture of a debate about a change. And then it also includes the final change in it, but it doesn't necessarily draw it out crystal clear. So there's a lot of room for interpretation. Um, and like all laws, until they're tested in the courts, we don't know what the definition of the is until lawyers tell us what the, right? So that's my view on that. Um, For a summary, I kind of agree with you, Laura, which is, this is really the, the SEC coming back and saying, you know, everybody's been skirting around the things that we've asked them to do. And we've seen an inconsistent implementation of reporting for incidents over the last few years. And it has negatively impacted investor confidence and investor profitability, which is what the SEC is looking to safehold, safeguard in this context, so they're they're clarifying and they're also muddying at the same time some of the things that um, people understood to be their requirements before, and now it's kind of coming down to well, we're going to define what we expect and what we want you to do. Now, the, the other piece that I think is important is this does not supersede; it's meant to complement other regulations and laws and guidance from the gu- from the federal government space, like NIST, um, where they're, they're, their terms and the definitions are different, and purposely different, because they serve different masters, so to speak. So really, I agree with you. This is a course correction by the, the SEC to kind of establish a baseline of activity and expectations. I don't know, Rick, well, your thoughts?
2: Right. No, I mean, you and Laura have already covered that, I mean, quite well, actually. There's not much more to say than that. I mean, honestly, you know, it's just like you said, you know, they're referencing things that they've been talking about for years and people have been ignoring, quite frankly. Boards, of directors have been ignoring it. The C-levels have been ignoring it. And now it's, now they decided to put a little bit of teeth into it because enough people have lost enough money, I think.
0: I, I hate to be the non-cynic in this conversation because cynic is the role that I play professionally most of the time. Do you think they're ignoring it, or do you think that the lack of clarity led to misrepresentation and misinterpretation? I think both, because yeah. there's a lack of, there's a lack of clarity. I mean, obviously, I'm not
2: an attorney. I'm not going to try to be an attorney, right? So my understanding may be different than your understanding, Sean, or different than you know different than Laura's understanding. So I don't want to say everybody out there is just you know being the negative Nancy and ignoring the law or ignoring recommendations. You know, I don't want to say that. I want to give that impression, but honestly, yes. I have worked for organizations. I have had organizations as clients that have told me flat out, we will accept that risk. We understand. So that happens. So now the law is coming around to where, you know what? It's no longer a recommendation. Now you have to do these things and you have to report these things. And this is what we want you to report on. And they've left that a little vague to go back to Sean's point. And that leaves us some more you know, room for misinterpretation. So...
1: Yeah, but I think they're just trying to get the consistency, right? I mean, e- even like you know, the if you if you bucketed um, the regulation, it would be you know the first bucket would be the reporting that they have to disclose on a form uh, 8K, and that's always been a requirement. But companies haven't always done that, so they might have done it in a press release or they might have done it on their website, um, and they most likely didn't do it within four days. I, I mean. You yeah. know, in a lot of cases when you have that kind of situation. So l- let me let me ask you this, because this has come up several times. I mean, especially around GDPR, because they've got the 72 hour notification. So in a lot of cases, you're still trying to figure things out within 72 hours. And it's the same thing within four days. So um, I guess let's talk a little bit about that. You know, I, we now they're saying we you need to consistently report it on this form. So no more of this miscellaneous stuff that you guys are coming up with, but rather, this is the form we want you to use. Um, and and also it very specifically what we want you to report on this form. So you know, I think companies took liberties around you know what they were going to do and also the time in which they took to do it. You know, they might not release anything until it was a weekend <laughs> or you know, where there was like, you know, maybe less traffic and things like that. So, or um,
0: yeah, or a holiday.
1: So, let's talk a little bit about that. The challenge of the four day. I'm interested in in both of your thoughts on the challenge of the four day reporting when you're still trying to, you know, figure out what's going on.
2: Well, the law states the new the new SEC disclosure requirements require that you, re- you report within four days. Now, they also flat out require that you report within that four days, even if you don't had your investigation complete, which, which is right. There are a few scenarios, national security, things like that, where you don't have to report, but very, very few, very few. Yeah. And, and I,
0: I think it's I interesting. Comment. And what I would say that the biggest challenge people are going to have, um, and this is where I was talking about muddying the rule a little bit is the term material incidents yeah. Yeah. throughout the document and material incident is again necessarily described in fuzzy language because what's material to my company is going to be different than Correct. what's material to your company and you know if I'm a supply chain provider who has no direct to consumer reputational impact may not be material to me but if you're you know Verizon or AT&T where you have a direct consumer presence and you've got investors and you know the the impact of the reputation is a critical material piece of your stock market. And that's what that's about. So let me flip that for a second on you, Sean. So here's where I'm curious: So
2: now material breach or material impact. If I were uh, looking for a new role as a SOSA, and I have several times in my career, I've stepped in after a breach and cleaned up the mess, right? I mean, that, that's where our expertise is, right? Uh, have the business side of it, let the technicians go be the technicians and we guide it and metrics and dashboard it and all that good fun stuff, right? But as a CISO, now you've been breached twice. And I say you euphemistically, I may not want to come to work for you. Now that is a material problem because now my expertise is in coming and cleaning up a mess, right? My expertise is to avoid some of these reputational problems you know, to avoid some of these technical issues, some of these business issues. But if I don't want to come to work for you because now you repeatedly, how do you measure that? I mean, is that even considered? I mean, where do you, what's your stance on that?
0: Um, I, I mean, that's a that's a market advantage, right? You're talking about uh, de-incentivizing top talent recruitment. Yeah. And I think that's hard to quantify. And, and I don't know, maybe this is an area, Laura, with your background in human resources and hiring. I mean, how would you handle that? That's, I mean, I would feel that's an emotional thing for me. I would go, well, we're not going to get the best people because we've got a black eye. Nobody wanted to go work for Target, you know, two months after the Target breach because we knew we had to clean up a mess and then there wasn't support. But then again, six months after the Target breach, they had all the support in the world. It's a great place to work. You got to build your own thing. <laughs> and it was, you know, it really depends on the timing and the perspective. But I don't know. I mean, is that even a consideration in the HR equation? I don't know.
1: I think that there are people who are motivated, you know, by cleaning up a mess. I mean, that's that's what they. The, well, that's right. Yeah, so right. Say. I mean, that's the big. So you've got people out there that that is a challenge that they embrace, and that's what motivates them is to find that um, because. I, and I guess, <laughs> Rick, you'd have to tell us the psychology behind that, but I'm guessing it's you know using and leveraging your expect expect expertise to turn the situation around and kind of win if you will. It, it's like that competitive like you're taking the situation and you're making it a winning
2: situation. I have a stronger mind. I have a you stronger did mind. You did so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's the reason we have firefighters, right? Who are the people crazy enough to run into a burning building? You know ah. we have the same thing in the security industry, uh you know, incident responders which Rick and I both have a lot of experience doing that and built programs, been responders. I mean, we come in in a crisis and we parachute in from the black helicopters and we fix the problem, right? That's what I've made a lot of my career around is coming in to be the cleaner, right? I want to build. I want to repair. I don't necessarily want to run. As a, and that's something I had to recognize about myself. So that's where I'm saying I don't know that that's an, a competitive disadvantage in that thinking. Okay. Now, if it was conversely about attracting top executive talent in the C-suite, Or if you're in a research company bringing in researchers who are worried about the the nature of their data that they may bring with them, higher education has this challenge all the time, which is, you know, your grant money follows the the, the research more than it follows the institution. So you want to keep a researcher at your organization so that you can then benefit from their research and the byproducts of that research if they're through your organization. Um, but again, I don't. I don't know okay. if that's really a driver from my perspective, because, like Laura said, there's a lot of people attracted to a burning house. But we're kind honestly, of really like don't that. you
1: feel like we're getting? Oh, I'm sorry, Rick. Don't you feel like companies are also, or or the, I guess with the cybersecurity landscape as it is, I think it, we're getting a little bit immune to it, right? I mean, it's like it's happening so often now that it's like, oh, you know, before it was like Equifax. Oh my god. You know, I mean, it was like this big, huge thing. And now it's like if it happened, it would be, oh, well, they need to get their house in order. I mean, I, it feels like it's a little bit more because it happens so often. Um, and interesting, I was reading the, the newest report from Sophos on the state um, of ransomware for 2023. Wow. Some of those numbers are incredible. Um, you know, 66%. Of the companies, like three thousand companies over or IT leaders over fourteen countries, sixty-six percent got hit with ransomware, and like seventy-six percent it was it seventy-six percent? I think that that actually had their data encrypted. Like it, it yeah. the ransomware. I mean, it happened. Now, of those, of the seventy-six percent, I think ninety-seven percent actually once they paid the ransom got it. So I guess there is. Some honor among
0: thieves. <laughs> that, that hurts my heart every time somebody says once they paid the yeah. rent. because that yeah, means once you, paid paid rent, it. you didn't have well, the model. to respond to restore your own data, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, I know. You just funded criminal enterprises. Yep, Ugh.
1: I know. So we're we're going down a rabbit hole again. We digress all, right. all the time. I'm doing a horrible job as as like the mediator host. Oh, come, so let's a... get back to the cybersecurity the new rules. So so that was the first piece of it, right? Reporting out, reporting within four days, how you're going to report it, what that's going to include. But then kind of broadening around the strategy from a risk management and governance perspective, having the programs, having, being able to, you know, manage the risk and describe and document and have all of that governance in place. And a lot of companies, because either they're growing um, they're more mature. They've had people enroll for a long time. There's a lot of intellectual property. Things aren't documented the way they should be. Um, and that's that's all part of what needs to happen and what's so important with this new um, disclosure. So let's talk about that for, for a little bit. What
0: are your so, thoughts? On- so I think the first thing that everybody has to do around that is you need to build your internal definition of material breach or material event material incident, whatever term you want to use. And I don't recommend the first one because a breach is a legal term. It's not a technologist term. It's not a business term, Um, but defining what material means for you. So you can have a consistent interpretation of it, right? Because that's, again, the fuzzy language is there. So you can do that. And if you don't have that in your incident response policy, what do we consistently consider a material? Then how do you make that judgment? And then you know when the regulators come in and they review your documentation and they say, Well, we believe this was material. Why didn't you report it? You don't have anything to fall back on to say, right. look, we define material as this yeah. and not that. And that's why we made the judgment call as a business not to report. It. So I think that's the first thing people have to take from this is you need to take the language they gave you for framing about what a material event is, and you need to organizationalize it. Wow, is that even a word? I think it's new. I make them up too. Um, you, you have to internalize. You have to synthesize that and then document it and formalize it in your processes and your policies and your decision making, and then be consistent about it. Right? It, it's that is critical to being defensible. And I hate to put it in that term because we always want to do the right thing for our companies and for our investors. But at the end of the day, as the people who have to respond to these events, it's it's about defensibility in the decision making and informing our executive leadership and informing our investors and our boards about why something matters or something maybe doesn't rise to that level of materiality. That's my view. So
1: one thing one thing you said, Sean, that it, I and I think this is a, a good point to make, that you know, sometimes when there's new regulations that are passed, the governing body isn't always prepared and ready to enforce right you know when you think of GDPR, that was such that was so huge and they didn't have the resources to be able to go in and, and do and Ireland did, <laughs> yeah well I mean, your dfs
0: is another great example of that yeah. financial sector right dfs put out these regulations but for three years and they went right into covid too which was even better timing uh they didn't have auditors who knew how to audit the standard that they were they were assessing right. Uh, so it took them time to come up to speed and, and look for interpretations. And, and Rick made this point when we were talking before the, before the session that, you know, again, this is a law. Well, what yeah. happens with laws when laws are proposed? They start out as a philosophical idea, rules, but they don't really mean anything until they're tested in court, Yeah, right? Case law drives the way we interpret these. things. And if we don't yeah. have case law, it's unproven until somebody decides to say, no, I really don't think that means that you. And then the courts come back and say no it means this so we've got a gap even if we go and we're all compliant by december you know it's going to take two to three years for this to really shake out and it's it going to get revised again
1: it is i think that the sec is ready to go i mean they're locked and loaded and they're not playing where you know sometimes with other regulations the governing body isn't always prepared for the magnitude of what's about to happen so I, I do think that that's a, another important point to make, that yes, you've got four months, but you need to take it really
2: seriously. Yeah, you do.
1: They're going to be ready to go. I mean, Rick, you feel the same way?
2: I absolutely do. Because, I mean, the reality is, like what and I were talking about before, before this meeting, right? So they're inter- these laws are now interpreted, right? And we're now going to interpret these things. We're, we're going to do what I think is right. And when somebody lands in jail, it's going to be a whole different meaning to cybersecurity. Yeah. Right when the board of directors starts losing millions and millions and millions in personal fines because they've not followed the governance of this law per se, you know that they're not you know responsible. They don't understand that their fine, their disclosures that the year doesn't describe their policies, procedures, you know, and, and responsibilities. That's going to start costing a lot of people money, right? So I, I that kind of twist on this, on this one. Morris. I, I apologize. I'm a little twist on this. I got about eight different feelings going about eight different ways on this. So. And I, 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 I would expect a lot of people do. so.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. So what do you think from, a, from an alignment with some of the state reporting
2: um, rules? I think a lot of them are going to end up relying on, okay, the SEC said, and that's going to map out to NYDFS, which is going to map out to NIST 2.0, which, by the way, this law references, which includes my favorite topic, governance. Another pillar. Thank you. It's about time. And so I think they're going to rely on. And I'm going to say, you know, NYDFS requires they do a user access review every day. You know, I've got an hour back to every single file, every single application, every single user. I think they're going to start falling back on that, and then we're going to find gaps in the law versus other regulatory agencies and requirements. I think that's where we're going. To, I think that's where we're going to end up landing is those gaps we're, we're, we may not think of them right now but an auditor, an SEC auditor will come in and find a gap and go, uh-oh, oops. And then they'll
0: they'll do an administrative ruling and they'll publish it. And then, again, it gets back to if your organization is public and you have a security program and you have a compliance and a governance program, if those teams are separate and not fully integrated working together and actively monitoring the evolving nature of these things, because your point about state regulations Right. States are putting out privacy regulations and data security regulations almost you know, monthly, quarterly. Right, they're, they're slowly catching up. There's no federal mandate, no consistent federal ruling that says how to handle data. So each state has kind of carved it out. And we've got clumps of states that are more and less prescriptive in their laws. Um, I think it's going to take time to shake out between the SEC filing and record requirements and the, and the, the states to catch up with it. And in some ways, you know, that's, again, that's an evolutionary process. We're not going to be there for a year or two years. And we may see some modifications to state requirements because now there's a federal regulation for public companies, right? Yeah. But what we really haven't touched on is regulated in private and how this impacts them. I know in our advising practices, when we talk to private companies and, and we say, do you have any intent to go public or to purchase a public company, you know, that immediately changes the design and the advice that we give to a private company, which is, okay, if you have aspirations to go public, we're gonna design your controls in a way that is supportable so that when you go public, it doesn't become onerous. You've got to rewrite everything and redo everything. And and you know, along with that, if you're planning on growth through acquisition, if that's your, you know, growth strategy and you plan to acquire public companies or regulated companies, you know, do you have those internal enterprise considerations that will allow you to adopt those regulatory requirements. Um, Going from an insurance company that sells life insurance with, you know, medical information is a different business model than one that sells car insurance. Right. Right. Um, So you have to think and design your program differently. You have to have different expertise. And again, if you're not actively monitoring the regulatory and the, the legal environment, in concert with your legal team, with your compliance team, your, your reporting and finance team, and helping everybody understand from a you know, risk perspective, and it all comes back to risk, so that the board can make the right decisions, so that the executives know what the stakes are for the choices. They make. Um, if you're not having those discussions, this is a perfect catalyst to restart that discussion.
1: Well, and I think what I've seen uh, and and I think this has been very successful is organizations that have kind of a a cyber risk oversight committee. So as part of the governance, they make sure that it's not that it's cross-functional. You know, you've got the executives there, you've got the CFO, you've got them because they need to understand on a regular basis, you know they they need to understand, as one of my mentors used to say, what's the so what for them? What's the so what? Because they don't necessarily understand all of the implications, nor should they, because they have people that they pay to do that. But from a cybersecurity oversight, that is something that you can help them understand on a regular basis, what's going on in the landscape, how it could potentially impact the business, what we're doing about it. And so it's not just okay. We've had we've had this breach. Here's our form for it. You need to look at it. Here's we have to understand all of it. So I think that that's one of the things from a governance perspective that I've seen be very successful. And to that point, I'd like to shift a little bit if we could, because I think this has been great conversation. But I'm also thinking of organizations that may not have a robust cybersecurity program. And so when you think about how they're going to come in compliance with this law. Can we get just a little bit more operational of um, here are the things that you need to kind of have in place so you can report out and do the things that this law is requiring? I, I'm just wondering if that would be helpful for
0: those. I think so. And I think Rick, you know, again, in our conversations prior to this, did a great job of summarizing those kind of, what are those foundational things? So I'll let him talk yeah. about. Them. Okay, Rick right, go. So all yeah. the foundational things. I mean, I,
2: I you know I've seen how many how many breaches you know I just had this discussion earlier today. How many breaches still occur because basics one 101 are missed, right? Plain and simple. Servers are exposed to the internet. They're not patched. You're not running EDR, you're not running endpoint detection, and you're not running IDS IPS. And somebody that big should be going back to 101. This goes back to their governance, which is now the responsibility of the board of directors, right? And now in their, their annual disclosures, every public company actually has to disclose who is responsible for security, not just who, but also what they're doing to ensure security, right? So your policies, your procedures, they want to know everything now. And you have to disclose that so an investor can look at that at the end of the year, look at that, go, okay, I want to, I want to put $10 million or $100 million, or i want to put three bucks. You know what? I want my money back. You know, that's really what it's about. I mean, so it goes right back down to they don't have the 101. They don't have the basics. Now it's going to become exposed because you have to file that every year. So I think I think it's going to come down to an embarrassment factor and force people to go back to the 101s, start over from scratch before any board of direct before any board of director. I mean, I sit on boards and I'm not going to take responsibility. For something I have absolutely no clue what you're doing, right? I'm not gonna do that, right? I'm gonna ask all the I'm gonna ask all the tough questions, show me the metrics, et cetera, show me the dashboard, show me the you know, show your policies, procedures, show me your third-party audits, knowing that I know that when I sign my name to that, I'm not going to jail, right? So I think a lot of that going back to just the one-on-one is really gonna set in this year with, with public companies, because a lot of public companies, I've seen a lot of public, companies. let me rephrase, let me put, let me put different phrasing on that. Don't do simple one-on-one, simple one-on-one stuff because they think they're too big. It's not going to happen to me, or you know what? I trust somebody. You know, somebody said something nineteen ninety-six, so I'm good, and that
0: unfortunately happens. So, so this also brings into light something I think that we've talked a lot about in the industry over the years, which is supply chain third-party risk management. Now we should be adding that to our monitor, right, for our partners and, and service chain providers, which is. What are, their, what are their 8Ks say? What does their 10K say? Right? Um, and it's funny when I talk to people who are trying to understand you know, sales forces, right? people who are looking to go out and understand a client that we bring on. And I'm like, if they're public, the first thing I'll say is, have you read their 10K filing? Yep. What's their strategic plan? Right? Um, it's the same thing now, except the SEC rulings. Do they have any 8Ks? right? Do they have any 6Ks, which are now required as part of this ruling? So you need to do your due diligence when you're looking at new vendors to see what is the state of their material cybersecurity capability. Um, and that's a new role. That's not something organizations have proactively been doing for those. Even those with robust third-party risk programs aren't necessarily going to that level, and the SEC filings are public. So. Yeah. Now, all I have to do is go to the SEC site. and I can look that up. Now, I can flip that with my adversary hat and say, um, I'm feeding information to the bad guys about the state of my cyber program. And that was some of the comments made during the comment period for this ruling was, well, we don't want to expose critical infrastructure information to adversaries. Well, yeah, you're right. There's a certain balance you have to strike between Revealing that you've got robust cyber controls, and revealing that you've underinvested and need to invest more.
2: Right? This is
0: where I think it's going to
2: play out in court, right there.
0: Yeah, that's going to be the argument. Is well, I'm telling everybody where I have a weakness, so that they know how to attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I've also heard the counter argument. Well, you know, the bad guys aren't going to look at eight Ks and ten. Yeah, well, yeah they, are. <laughs> they are. <too>. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. are. It's intelligence. It's open source intelligence. They're absolutely, once they know that it's available, it will become a source, they'll automate it, they'll feed it into their databases on the back end, they'll use it in their attack strategy. Um, it's still a lot more work than just asking somebody for their password and getting in that way, which still continues to work. Uh, and if we have to talk about foundational skill, I mean, access management is still the biggest yep. failure of control. And the second biggest failure of controls that we see in companies is logging and monitoring. Right, and even if you have a sim, uh, I often find with our with with companies we speak with with companies I've worked in, to be fair, uh, that we log everything, but we don't look at any.
2: Yeah.
0: Or we yeah. don't log the right. <laughs> yeah, time. or we log too much, and now and noise, especially with ML-based sims, which is what everybody's moving towards, because there's just yep. so much volume of information you have to be able to sort it. The more you feed the model, the more cluttered the model becomes and the less efficient. So, it's really do you understand what events you have and where those sources of those events are? And how do you find those things rapidly? So, getting back to that four day notification, you've got to tune your monitoring capabilities to know when an event occurs so that you can quickly ascertain whether it's material. That's where you're investing. Access and logging and monitoring. Those are the two biggest technologies I think are going to be a boom. I think governance plays a key part in that as
2: well. So even if you invest in all that, without having the governance saying, we got to go do this, we have to do that, we've got to check this daily, we've got to do these types of things, we've got to report this, without that governance, all the tools in the world are worthless. They really are, because now you're, you're counting on human nature, right? And I, for one, don't like human nature, because I'm human. And God knows, I, when I make mistakes, I tend to shine very brightly when I make a mistake, you know what I mean? <laughs> So people make mistakes, right? So I try not to try not to focus on that. I mean, the governance piece has got to be there that drives us as an organization to do certain things, to check those logs every day, to file that 8K on time, et cetera.
1: So again, knowing what you know, then you have to do something about it. So I think that in a lot of cases, companies will stop short. You know, they find out these risks and they start remediating, but there's no documentation. So having a risk register Having and not only a risk register for third party, but also as a company. Um, you know, I was, I was at a company and we did not have really an identity access management program. We had components of it, but we actually didn't have a program and that's a risk. So, you know, whether it's an enterprise risk assessment that identifies these things or just things that you trip over as, as you're going through your day having conversations with people it doesn't even have to result in a breach but just different risks that combined together could actually be a breach um but documenting those monitoring those evaluating those prioritizing those so I, you know I earlier I said let's kind of get back to the foundations if 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 I was in a smaller company I didn't have the resources when you think about what this law is requiring It's a lot around a risk management program and what are the components of a risk management program? Well, we've talked about third party risk, but there's also enterprise risk and Mm -hmm. then the governance as, as a piece of that, right? So the risk register, having a risk register, making sure that you are remediating. But that is, that is a perfect, um, agenda item in every one of those cyber oversight committees where you are taking them through the risk register. And they need to help prioritize, right? Because, you know, without the resources, without just having unlimited resources, things have to be prioritized. And I don't know that IT should be making that decision.
0: No, and this is something I know all three of us have talked about, which is cybersecurity is not an IT function.
1: Right.
3: Yeah.
0: Right. And in order for cybersecurity to be effective at protecting the business, protecting the investment of the investors, Right. There has to be a prioritization, and I'm going to use the term investment for the third time in the same sentence. There has to be an investment and in a prioritization of that investment from the leadership of the company. Yes. Right? The board has to direct a certain amount of the profitability from you know, the organization yes. into a reinvestment to protect future profitability. And security is a critical capability of that, right? Right. Data, Knowing where your data is and data governance is another piece of it. That all ties into this ruling. Um, it does, yeah. You know, if you don't, and, they, and we won't die, we joked about this in our in our pre-talk about um, talking about um, labeling and data governance and all of that. And I'm not going to dive into the details of that, but no. there is a new requirement to expand that around disclosures and uh, costs of disclosures, which was not protected or categorized before. It now has to be labeled as a business regulation or business rule and business data and, and protected accordingly. So that's another expansion where, you know, if you're not a practitioner, and I joked that that's a a format and the labeling and the tagging that goes along with it that our financial regulators and our financial auditors have been doing for decades. But the mm-hmm. cyber side of the house, we really didn't have a conversation about it, right? We would just always push back that, well, this is material to the security of the organization. We don't need to disclose this data, right? And we've got this kind of Close-held secrets mentality that the SEC is trying to crack open, for, right? Because I can't make a sound investment choice as an investor in a company if I don't understand how rotten the foundation of the company is in the technology sector that allows us to make money. Um, and so, again, the SEC is protecting investors here, uh, which has some good and bad consequences when we're so focused on the investment um, piece but it should, should theoretically lead to more prioritization and engagement with the cyber problem um, going forward. And, and again, that's all going to be borne out. We'll see if this is just a lot of hullabaloo and additional regulatory driving and, and requirements that maybe amount to nothing Difference. We have to see how this plays out. But we should treat it and we should be communicating to our uh, leadership in a way that they understand the way to,
1: right? Um, yeah, we talked about that last time. yeah, we talked about that a little last time on, um, so if you, if you weren't able to join us last time, there, I'm sure the, the link can be distributed or it's out there, but we talked about, you know, how do you talk to the executives, which is all part of this, right? Because if we're going to be engaging them um, more so than ever with this new law, we need to understand how to talk with them without completely, uh, you know, freaking them out. Um, I had another random thought, as I always do, around <laughs> governance. Um, but but don't forget, you know, back to Rick's point of the foundational things. Don't forget about your contracts, yeah. like the language in your contracts with your third parties and things like that. With this new law, is
3: Remember,
0: risk you know, transfer making, is always an option, right?
1: Yeah, but making sure that they have the same controls in place yeah. that you require, and I mean, just don't let because that that's a it's a small thing, but
0: it could it could save you. But that's an important point, which is a lot of organizations we work with don't have internal standards. So how can I enforce that on a third party if I don't have it documented for myself? Well, there you go. Well, and, and, and for the point of this argument or this
2: discussion, uh, argument, discussion, discussion, argument, yeah, they, uh, right? don't the point here is really about SEC, right? So these are publicly traded companies. These companies are by far, or let me rephrase let me that, should be by far more advanced in their information security practices, their IT practices, their governance practices, their disaster recovery, business continuity, what have you. They should already be more advanced. And they're and they've been,
0: already, been living under socks for decades. At this absolutely.
2: Point. Absolutely. And, and they should also be able to speak, you know, their IT staff and their IT leadership, their security leadership should be speaking business language at that point. So... So they're already by far more advanced than what a lot of these companies are, you know, that I kind of, I I feel like we're detracting off to smaller companies that are potentially, you know, taking more risks. Because once you become publicly traded, once you become regulated, regulated just because you're, just because you're compliant, you're not secure. Let me be real clear about that but regulatory requirements requires you make certain steps, right? It's so certain things you have to do, certain things you have to prove. So I want to kind of make sure that this that this stays on topic for the larger companies for today. I apologize. But we've we've, we've coming off on a tangent, myself included, on one-on-one type of foundational things. They should have them. I've seen companies not have them. We had a question from the audience on how often do we see companies just ignore the one-on-one. They don't have the administrative, you know, Administrative controls, which are policies procedures, the answer is unfortunately more than I care to admit to. Huh. And uh, uh, Sean, what, uh, how often have you seen regulated companies that are still missing some one on one? I
0: have yet to see a regulated company that I've worked with that had everything they needed to have all the time. And, and again, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen, and yeah. there's always a, a risk reward resource kind of contention there, which is, you know, I've got a, only so many people and only, only so many things to focus on. And even a mature organization is going to have gaps. Um, it is, because if you have
2: 100% security, you have no usability, right? So so there's there's always that risk. I mean, there, there you have to be able to do business to make money. So there's going to be some risks there, planning something.
1: Those are the conversations that should occur at the Cyber Risk Oversight Committee. <laughs> Because that, <laughs> yep. because you're right. I mean, a lot of companies will make they they will go through a extensive decision making process of we're not going to do this for this reason. As long as it's documented and it's signed off on, you know, I think that again needs to occur. Some other companies, on the other hand, will maybe start in the middle, right? So they stop, they either stop short or they start in the middle and then they're building a castle on sand.
0: So yeah. The other thing I would want to caution everybody about is taking this ruling and going back and being the house is on fire, gangbusters. Yeah. And, you know, this That's is the most important happening. thing ever, and we have to stop everything we're doing because this new thing happened. Again, we have to caution moderation. Yes. And and we have to you know just recognize that this is an evolving situation, even though there's a ruling, even though it goes in place in summer. And, you know, we're in a pro- public company and we have to report the 8K, we have to figure out our processes to even engage to do the 8K reporting, right? Your financial team already knows how to do reporting to regulators. Chances are your IT and security team probably don't. So that's one of the first things from a governance perspective to start on is, what is our reporting procedure? We know we have to do it. Now, how do we do it? Yeah. And then that's where I would start. So I would agree.
2: And that that, that almost on your compliance team, that's actually where we're going to start reporting that. So I would rely heavily on your compliance team for that, quite frankly. And and then to, if
1: you're, go to go with what you were saying, Sean, of, of you know, the house is on fire. I think it it also goes back to good faith, right? So an, an auditor is going to look at the context, you know, and, and come in and look at the context and look at what you have in place, what you're striving, what your strategic plan is. I mean. You know, if you have very limited things in place, you got a lot of work to do in four months, right? So, but again, I think just making the progress, showing what your strategy is going to be, understanding it. Um, so, in the case of an auditor coming in, um, you have that. Yeah. And get they can for having do a progress towards it. I know we did that a lot with GDPR. I mean, we, we weren't completely 100% compliant, but we were showing where we were going to get there.
0: And I can even think back when you and I were working at a company that was going public, right? It yeah. was in the process yeah. Of doing an IPO. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of uh, noise initially from some of our peers in the IT stack about how they would never be able to meet those control requirements in that time period. And, you know, there were a number of, of conversations at, you know, executive level and above that we were part of where I was like, look, it's not about whether we can be compliant day one. It's about do we have the investment, the strategy, and the planning to show someone that you know we are moving this direction and we are actually moving yeah because you do get credit for planning right in these conversations with auditors and assessors and regulators within reason but yeah I mean you can't you can't malinger, right Correct. you can't take no four well, is welcome neglect plain and simple yeah.
2: and they know how to sniff that out pretty quick so,
1: so I think um, we're coming up to uh, time. If we were going to just kind of say, what were the the biggest takeaways that, that you want to leave um, people who are listening with, you know, what would they be? What would be the three to four things that you would advise with um, compliance with this law, this new law?
0: So I know Rick has a pretty good summary. I want to leave it with him because I think he's going to kind of Drop the mic as we walk out the door. Uh, but <laughs> right, so, right. so my view on this is, this is really just a clarification of the things that you know the SEC is doing to protect investors and is holding public, public companies to account for these things now. And they haven't been doing that, right? Uh, too many organizations, I think, have ridden that line of obfuscation over the last few years because of technical interpretations or fuzziness. And so this ruling is a start in building that clear accountability into the process. Uh, But all of that stated, I think this is a half-mitch. I I think that to me, it feels like the SEC stepped back from the line where they could have been more directive and very much more clear. And they allowed for fuzziness, which may or may not play out in the courts. Um, I think that they're trying to reduce the number of people who can say, well, this cyber event." Devalued my share price, and that's why you didn't get this money as an investor, without them ever having had a public disclosure. we are trying to avoid that because there was a lot of cases, right, where you know they would find out in the filings that there was a major cyber event that caused a, a, re, a refocusing of priorities and monies inside of a company, and the investors going, "I never heard about this ransomware thing that happened. What are you talking? About? Why are you saying that I'm, my share price went from fifty-six dollars a share?" To fourteen dollars a share realized at the end of the year, and that's what's driving along. Um, so it's a good thing. I think we're on the right track. We're starting to see clarity, and we're starting to to push towards accountability. Um, that's the big takeaway here: is we want to help our organizations recognize and realize that account. Yeah, so that's where I'll leave it.
2: You know, I will agree with Sean and say, Sean just dropped the mic. I agree. <laughs> now, really, what what I would hope someone gets from this, or at least read. First off, see your attorney. Don't don't take my word as legal advice. Plain and simple, that's first and foremost. I'm afraid of being sued. You've said that like five times. Yeah, you know, I know. No, know I've been around a long time in this business. I haven't been sued yet. Let us let's, let's keep that streak till I retire in about five years. You know That's what we're, that's what we're going for. But no, seriously, I, I, I would I would hope that the things that people walk away from this law are a Understand that the SEC, the federal government is now starting to get serious. They're starting to put some teeth into this. They're starting to hold the board of directors, you know, direct directly responsible now for cybersecurity, for incident, you know, incident management, disclosure. And disclosure doesn't, doesn't just mean, hey, Johnny's script kitty touched my stuff. Disclosure means Sean signs is my chief information officer. Rick Live is my chief information security officer. These are Rick's certifications. These are SON certifications in education. These are our policies. Now, that uh, I- I'm curious to see where this actually ends up as far as how much people actually file because I'm not giving you all of my procedures. That's not going to happen, right? That That's the secret sauce to, you know, to, to my crown jewels. But if you walk away from this, understand they're getting serious. You've got to do this. Stop. Sean said, it, it it it's not, oh, my God, your hair's on fire. Run back to the board of directors and say you're all going to jail because that's not the case. It just simply isn't. But they do need to sit back, understand and evaluate your cybersecurity practice, measure it up against the law, find out what you're supposed to be doing and make sure that you're doing. It. I mean, really, that's really where it would boil down to. This isn't me- this isn't rocket science. And this isn't a technology problem. This is a business issue. So. Walk away realizing this is business. This is not a technology problem. You can't throw a firewall or an intrusion detection system at it and call it good. Or Sean pointed out earlier, you know, an AI sim, not good enough. This isn't about technology. It's all about people, processes. That's really where it boils down to is people and processes and your policies, your administrative controls. So I would say walk away understanding. Talk to your lawyer. Again, take it serious. Stand back. Evaluate yourself.
1: Yeah, and that's what I would say. Um, again, being able to identify your current state, figure out where that falls into what the requirements are, and then look at what you need to do to get there. So I think a good first step would be looking at where you're at. And we talked a lot about that last week of doing kind of an internal assessment and you know your risk management program, your uh, you know all of the components of what's in this law, and be able to determine you know where maybe you stopped short or where you have a gap. Um, and, and then work to fill those gaps, have a strategy for it. Not just, we need to get there, but have a strategy for it. Because again, that's documentation yep. that you you know, you'll be able to show. So, um, okay. That, that was, I think what we had, is there any, there, are there any other questions that came through?
0: I don't think so. I mean, we had tons of questions that were prepared and, and I think we covered a lot of them just organically in our discussion today. Okay. Um, the, to the point, again, that you know this is one of many topics that we discuss as a group. Uh, the next conversation I think that we're teeing up for the next issue is you know, kind of talking a bit about the shift from internal. But, and let me set the table for this, which is for the last few years, there's been a narrative in the cybersecurity practitioner space about the need for more talent right, and not being able to hire the right people or enough people or the right certified. <laughs> And Absolutely. this is a legitimate issue. It's, it, it's yeah. been happening forever. Um, and, and we've seen you know, the, the in-source, outsource conversations over the years too. We've seen the pros and cons of that. And I think that the, our next topic for next week is going to be about you know, some of those pros and cons around how do you build an effective cybersecurity program and what does that staffing look like, right? Is it an MSSP? Is it internal staff? What are the advantages and disadvantages of that? And we're hoping to, to bring another guest into this conversation. Uh, we haven't finalized all that yet, so I don't want to commit to that person's name. But we are going to try and add an additional voice that's uh, outside of the Access Point team who can speak to kind of the um, security services space and, and you know, building an effective cyber team. So, uh, Hopefully, all of you will come back and join us next week And uh, as we do this every week. Uh, and we'll go forward from there. Um, we want to thank everybody. And Laura, you did a great job being the ringleader on this one. I thank you, you for just you know, throwing me out in it, Sean. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm all about giving you, you know, appropriate support, guidance, and leadership. Yeah. Oh my god. Sometimes it's yeah. best to just, you know, kick the kid off the ladder and watch him swim. That's you know, right.
2: I love to swim, but don't kick me off the ladder.
1: <laughs> thank you everyone for joining and we'll see you next week.
2: Thanks everyone.